0: Hello and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I am a writer and I'm the older brother of Matthew Farrell, who will say hello now. Hey, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking about how to efficiently record a podcast. No, no, (laughs) that's not what we're going to talk about. Today we're going to be talking about the most recent episode from Matthew's channel, which is The Truth About Capturing CO2 to Reverse Climate Change. This episode dropped on July 21st, 2020. And unsurprisingly, this created quite a bit of back and forth in the comments. Yes, it did. (laughs) This is understandably a topic that has a large cohort on either side. And Mm -hmm. I think your video... Did a admirable job of saying this is about facts and not about political stances. It didn't feel like it was political. It felt like it was taking, you were trying to take the approach as you point out, this is something that international efforts to combat climate change have argued for that you need right, right. to have a across the board push for not only development of new energy sources but you have a huge amount of CO2 already existing in the atmosphere and something has to be done about that as well. So you can't just say, "Oh, we'll, you know, burn it all down, start over." So I think that the best way to discuss this video and the discussion around it is to start with the comments and i think that we can jump back into the content of the video as needed in reference to the comments so i wanted to start with and it really is very back and forth there there was quite a bit of discussion that was saying come on mac get your head out of the clouds and then other people were like this is great and you're right yeah Yep. (laughs) So let's start with Adam Little, who wrote, I can understand skepticism about CCUS schemes given the involvement of oil and gas companies. But one thing to consider in the longer term is that even if we electrify everything, we still have a whole bunch of excess carbon in the atmosphere from the last 200 years of human activity. If we want the technology to pull it out of the air and to put it to use in a way that keeps it out of the air, we'll need to keep developing these technologies. On the other side Maybe closer (laughs) to the middle, but on the other side, Bob Bresnahan, who wrote, quote, stuck with fossil fuel generators for a while, close quote. What is a while? If we make objective decisions and apply our resources to it, we can close all the coal and gas plants in a decade. Read Stephanie Kelton on financing the transition. Read Clack et al. On the actual transition in the US, where will the money come from? Read the deficit myth for the answer to that question. Many recent studies and models indicate that swift retirement will actually save money in the energy sector. The same is true for transportation and heating, cooling buildings and water. Seriously, read Kelton. Which I thought was a very measured response. It wasn't, you know, the, the argument there is not, Matt, you're an idiot. It's, there is information out there making a counterpoint to the CCUS argument. Right. I was wondering... How much exposure did you have to anything that he's, that he's trying to share?
1: I've had a bit and you're right. That is a very measured response. There were some not so measured responses. The one thing I I, I hope it probably didn't come through clearly was I'm not living up to the name of my channel. I'm not completely on pro CCUS or anti CCUS myself. I see there's a potential pathway for this kind of technology that can, we can have our cake and eat it too, where it's like. I said it several times in the comments myself, the, the things that caught my attention the most were, we use CO2. For, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, so we are already capturing it. So it's like, are, are there methods that we can do that can capture greater quantities from the atmosphere? And then there are, are there ways that we can put it to use besides just burying it in the ground or using it to get more oil? Mm-hmm. And those were the things that caught my eye the most. And the, the one about concrete, I thought was fascinating. It's like here's CO2 infused concrete that's actually stronger because it's been infused with CO2. And then because of the chemical reaction that CO2 is permanently, you know in, encased in that cement where it's not going to come back out in the atmosphere. So it's like, hey, we get stronger concrete. yeah, it's going to help reduce the, the the pollutants that are made from making concrete. It's like a win-win. So you said in, on top of that
0: in the video, it's right. it's a chemical reaction where the CO2 becomes, was it a calcinate it's solid? That you said?
1: Yeah, it becomes a solid. So it's it's not like it's going to slowly leak out and escape. It it becomes a solid as part of the cement. It's technologies like that and approaches like that that I find the most interesting. It's not just let's suck it out of the air and shove it in the ground that I think is necessarily the right direction where i agree with that second comment where it's like yeah it's it that may not be the solution but for me it's like we need co2 we can put co2 to use in very creative ways that can spur businesses and actually make better products and then we're also on top of that it's scrubbing the atmosphere and making things cleaner and from everything i've read and the research i've done I am kind of in the camp that it there's, we have to do multiple things. We can't just pick one path and say, that's the only thing we're doing. Right. So the idea that it's like, stop building natural gas plants and build nothing but solar and wind and everything's going to work out. It's like, well, why can't we do that? Plus carbon capture, plus thorium nuclear reactors, plus it's like, why does it have to be just one thing is my personal take. And that's what I hope is starting to come through in some of the videos I'm making because mm-hmm. A lot of people tend to pick their horse, so to speak. Yeah. So like on some of my videos, people are like, just do nuclear. And it's like, no, no, that's not the solution. Just do carbon capture. No, no, that's not just the solution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think my my opinion on this is very kind of nuanced. And I'm not 100% sure if that's coming through as clearly as it should in my videos.
0: I think one of the reasons, I, I know that for myself, this this is at play in issues like this. It, it boils down to... One of the things you mentioned in the video, which is money
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: where does the money come from to fund Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And I think that people would be extremely, people would be very open to CCUS research and application and the continuation of current dirty production if it could be cleaned, if it was being largely driven, if it was known to be driven by money coming From the carbon producers. And I don't know that that's actually the case. And I think the assumption is. And and I know that this is an assumption and a bias that I have. I don't think that a lot of oil and gas companies. Are actually funding the research themselves. And driving the research themselves. And using their resources to figure out how to clean this up. I think it's a lot of public money. I'm talking about my assumptions. This is not fact based. So when I look at this. And I say okay clean coal. If it was actually possible terrific but who's paying for that research if it's public money couldn't that public money be steered towards something more effective long term like getting off coal entirely. So I think that that may drive some of the you've got your head in the clouds responses because I do agree with you you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. But it's a question of are you diluting productive research by funding the polluters
1: no no here's why some of the companies i cited in the video are not being funded by public money some of them are private companies that are like the the company that's doing the co2 into concrete that's a private company Mm -hmm. that's not coming from public money so it's it's one of those it's not (laughs) it's it's not us paying for that it's a company kind of reading the writing on the wall we're going green the world's going to go green and what does that mean, and what oppor- business opportunities are there? And there are companies trying to ride the crest of that wave to become the major player in the market for whatever that is. So you have companies like Climeworks, you have companies like that that make that concrete, mm-hmm. that are trying to find paths to make a profitable business of capturing carbon. That's not public money. And some of them may have been like gotten some public money to get like off the ground as a startup, but they're trying to spin that into a sustainable company. In
0: my mind, that's totally fine. And one of the things that uh, stood out in the comments was a number of people, um, I think they missed, it was kind of a footnote in one of your comments about possible uses of the captured carbon because you talked about being used in building materials. But one of the things that people kept talking about was using it as uh, fertilizer.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I know you did mention it, but some people in the comments, I think it, it was a passing comment. So I think that some people missed it. There's a number of people who commented saying like you could use the CO2 for fertilizer. One person even suggested that you could, I'm trying to remember, I didn't capture their comment, so I'm not sure who, what their name was, but their comment was, you could plant acres of trees near abandoned cold mines and then every few years cut down the trees and stick them down into the mine and keep doing that. And you're effectively, the trees are taking carbon out of the air. They're also going to be absorbing it from the soil and then you're putting it back underground and you're just scrubbing the air using fields of trees, which their argument was you could take the captured co2 and spray the trees with it so that they're absorbing it as fertilizer as well i just liked the idea of growing trees to put them in the mine shaft. Um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it, it's i like that idea too but it would be at such a
1: scale it yeah. would just not be feasible
0: it just seemed it, like it's, a it's, really strange crop is is like yeah. what do you do i i grow trees what do you do with those trees we stick them in a mine yeah <laughs> Uh somebody did ask, it was McGrainer asked, Isn't flushing subterranean matter with CO2 to extract more oil? The same principle as fracking. It is. It it's
1: is. essentially the same thing.
0: Yeah. So there's another one that's a political hot potato. Um, yep. With fracking being on everybody's naughty list.
1: I did bring it up in the video, and this is my concern too, is like, is it an excuse for big oil just to keep drilling big oil? You know. Yeah, because they're just t- capturing the CO two that they're doing. They're shoving it in the ground so they can get more oil. It's like that. That to me does not seem like the solution.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it feels a little bit like creating a byproduct of syringes that they can be melted down into heroin, so that <laughs> you heroin do addicts heroin. <laughs> could melt down their syringes to get more heroin to shoot up more. <laughs> Yes. It's a little yes. bit like, I don't know that that's the right direction to go. Yeah, no, um, definitely not. <laughs> and, it, and it also links that issue, the fracking issue links into something that you said could be a byproduct of not even trying to do that, but just simple underground storage, potentially leading to subterranean deep earthquakes that would effectively be man-made earthquakes. Wow, we know that fracking has been linked to glowing, growing phenomenon uh, around the world of of there being seismic uh, impact. As and the result, they're
1: drinking water and fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's great. Well, I mean the the one the one example from the video I was talking about that was for burying it in the ground was the one that's happening. I think it's near Norway. Mm-hmm. where when where they're injecting it into the ground it has a chemical reaction to the materials in the ground and it turns into a solid
0: so it's basically. doing something similar to the concrete
1: yeah so it's like in that case that's not going to cause earthquakes that's not going to be able to leak back out because it's once again it's a chemical reaction turning the co2 into something completely different right um so it's in that case that is a permanent way to store it and it. A, two thumbs up for that but at the same time it's like how is that going to be a profitable business
0: <laughs> yeah that's that was my response to that too that sounds very much like the sort of government project yeah get rid of it as opposed yes. to a for-profit we have a benefit here
1: yeah i mean climb works if you go to their website it's interesting because i don't know exactly where they're getting their money 100 of it but they are taking donations so a lot of the company is you can go there and donate 10 bucks so it's like they're clearly trying to come at it from a public works point of view Mm -hmm. but they're basically just asking for money for whoever wants to contribute
0: are they set up as a charity
1: no okay so it's it's one of those it feels like a noble cause but i just don't see how they're gonna have a path to profitability to make this a sustainable thing
0: yeah it looks like they're it it, that almost sounds like they're looking for venture capital on small scale Mm -hmm. with no payback so that's a hard Mm -hmm. path one of the comments that caught my eye was from steve w who wrote i was watching a video on a company doing compressed air energy storage that would dovetail dovetail with this nicely they have to strip the cot from the air anyhow as a byproduct of the compression process the intent is to use compressed air as a battery." take surplus power from renewables, then compress the air. Then in times of demand, use the compressed air to run turbines to make electricity. Yep. I, as I read that, I thought, I think he's describing another one of your videos.
1: He is. I I did bring up high view power in a different one of my videos. And I'm actually trying to reach out to them uh, because I -hmm. would love to talk to them. But the more I've been digging into basically liquid air or cryogenic batteries like that, the more I'm becoming a believer of, I think that's the path. If you were going to pick one thing for energy storage, it's looking more and more to me like that's awesome because it's, it's so it's scalable. You can build massive energy storage just through the process of cryogenically freezing the uh, air Mm -hmm. separates them into different component parts. So it makes it very easy to scoop out the CO2. (laughs) which is oh, because so cool. the different so,
0: molecules freeze at different temperatures correct mm. yes
1: so it's 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 fascinating so it's like here's this thing that's going to be providing so it kind of freezes a,
0: into a layer cake of different components <laughs> basically Wow.
1: so you have this system where it's like it's going to be providing basically massive battery storage for our renewable powered grid which is what we need which makes it a profitable path to business and then on top of that, it could also double as a CO2 scrubber.
0: <laughs> right.
1: It's, it's like a win-win-win. So it's, it's the more I've been looking into them, the more interesting it's getting.
0: Here's my question about that. Do you not reach a point where that company has all the CO2 it can handle? Well, he, here's the thing is that they don't have to do that.
1: So it's like they're capturing just air. They're not doing anything crazy to it. So they're capturing the air. They freeze it. They're just putting it to cryogenic temperatures. And then when they need to use the energy, they just basically thaw it out. And in the thawing process, they're turning the turbine, which is creating energy. The air that's coming out in the end is actually slightly more pure than the air that came in just because of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to filter out the CO2. It's like they could be putting the CO2 right back out again with everything else. So the mix of the air doesn't change. So if they wanted to capture the CO2, they would just take what they needed. So it's, I don't know, the more I'm looking into them, the more yeah. fascinating their technology. Is. And on top of which, they're using existing infrastructure to do this. So the giant tanks they're using to capture the CO2, I mean, to, to capture the air, mm-hmm. is just the tanks that are natural gas industry uses to store propane and, you know, <laughs> natural gas. Right. So it's it's kind of crazy of like, they ha- didn't have to invent some new manufacturing systems and New schemes of doing things which increase cost, but because they're using exist basically existing parts that are already on the market. They're dirt cheap, giant like steel canisters, yeah. and all the same infrastructure that's already used to do this stuff. Like the technology to do this has been around for decades, and the fact that they're just applying that to this is is, is really neat. Anyway, that was kind of like a little tangent, but yes, yeah, I've been looking into them and it's it's a very interesting technology that could also double as uh, carbon capture in some form.
0: I have two last comments, which I think are nice bookends to responses to the video to end on. The first is from Carl's Creek, who wrote, carbon capture is a fool's errand. Nice overview, however. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I thought that was a very I, nice.
1: I really like that comment. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Succinct to the he's point. Like, it's like, he's like, yeah. I have an opinion about this. However, I think you yeah. did a really nice job. Yeah. And the I other one is from Tony Igwe, who writes, Matt, you are just awesome. Hey, <laughs> I'm a chemical engineering graduate that never worked in the industry. I was turned off by the callous attitude toward the environment, which I saw firsthand at the place I did my undergraduate internship. I am pleased that the entire world seems to be paying a lot more attention to environmental issues. That was generally not the case in the late 80s when I had my own awakening. By the way, one good way to utilize captured CO2 is in the growing of plants as a gas or in solution as foliar spray. I thought that that worked well with this comment because this comment saying like, attitudes have changed we're trying different things we're moving forward in a good in a positive direction and it's interesting i think that tony Igwe's comment also reveals there are people who go into fields because they love chemical engineering nobody Mm -hmm. grows up loving oil plants Mm -hmm. they love chemical engineering they love the ideas of how the science behind all that works and then people end up going into industries that they may not even like so there are i'm sure people within these industries that are very excited about the possibilities yeah here uh and hopefully those people are in the right positions to push it forward to tie that right back to high view power
1: the ceo of that company and many of the people that work there used to work for big oil and natural gas companies. They've been in the energy industry for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so they they've moved into a renewable form of energy storage and use. And they've even commented on the, the shift that we're seeing in the industry in the path. And they look, they seem to be very passionate about where they're going mm-hmm. and they seem genuinely in the interviews I've seen genuinely happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so it's like, you, you, I think you're spot on with that comment that there's definitely people in the industry that may not be happy with what they're doing. And now is the time where we're starting to see that change.
0: It has to reach a critical mass, not only mainstream, but also within industries. There has yes. to be enough knowledge within the industry. You you have to have a, a tipping point where the people involved in that argument are so numerous that they can they cause things to move and and that may be happening in the, in the energy production as well where you have enough people working in the industry with enough knowledge and years and years of people doing that. You have retirees all the way down to new college graduates. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the pandemic, how do we keep ourselves from losing our minds? I know this is a struggle that, in all seriousness, is a real struggle. I know that I deal with it on a daily basis Uh, since I was reading yesterday about how the human body uh, responds to stress and anxiety and it pointed out that the brain in processing stress and anxiety shifts the blood flow from the prefrontal lobe where the higher functioning goes into the I always say it wrong but the amygdala which is closer to the lizard brain (laughs) and is the flight or fight center of the brain Uh so that part of the brain becomes flushed with blood it gets all the oxygen and starts firing and as i read this i thought this is fascinating and and i have been experiencing that quite a bit uh lately that sense of oh i either need to punch something until it stops moving or i need to run away and i can't do either of those things because what i'm currently doing is just sitting in my living room (laughs) so we turn to ways to calm ourselves and I have my techniques trying to be healthy about it trying to be positive about it through exercise and calming techniques that are not you know I'm not turning to heroin I'm not looking for a syringe that I can melt down into more heroin but I am turning to things like kitchen projects so there are two things I wanted to mention that I've done recently that were a lot of fun And they kind of fit into your video because one of them involves carbonation. What were you making? I made ginger beer I followed a recipe I've had a a number of different uh, ginger beer experiments some more positive than others this time I followed a recipe that I found in the New York Times and it was described as simpler and I agree that it was I wish I had used um, they recommend using bottled water just because it won't have chlorine Mm -hmm. and the other processes I realized after I made the ginger beer the other processes I've used have involved boiling the water and I realized that without the recipes pointing it out that what you're one of the things that's happening in the boiling process is you're going to boil off the chlorine because what you have in the process with the ginger beer is you're going to have the yeast in the water and the chlorine can actually retard some of the growth right so you know this is kind of a balancing act but still the results were pretty good and and the process of this recipe was very very straightforward no cooking really just mixing ingredients into a large container letting it sit for 24 hours or longer and then pouring that from the larger container into your final bottle or whatever you're going to keep it in and then capping it off. So for the first 24, 48 hours, you, you are letting the gas escape Mm -hmm. and then you finally do the bottling and close it off and stick it in the fridge. And it was in the fridge for four days. And when I finally tapped it open, very crisp, lots of carbonation. I used a combination of lemon juice and lime juice. So it has a kind of Sprite-like taste Yeah. as well as a ginger beer taste and i have been expan- extending its life by um mixing it with seltzer so i'm drinking it like half and a half with seltzer so it makes a very sort of light ginger beer lemonade limeade like sounds refreshing refreshing drink <laughs> yeah. and yesterday my girlfriend and i went on a four mile walk oh geez around brooklyn we got back. I think I lost about twenty three pounds of water weight on the walk. Yeah, it's, and it's been hot. the first thing I I did when we got back, we were walking back. We were about three blocks away, and we passed a kid who was drinking a seltzer out of a can, a, a lemon seltzer out of a can. And I looked at this kid, and I was just like, "Oh, that looks good." <laughs> and then we crossed the street, and there was a guy, and he was drinking a ginger ale out of a can. And I thought, "Oh, that looks good." <laughs> yeah. And then about a block later, I was suddenly struck by the realization that I actually had the perfect combination of both of those flavors (laughs) waiting for me at home. And I was like, oh, that's going to be so good. That's going to be great. I'm going to get home and do that. So I had a delicious big glass of ice with those two things mixed together. So that was, that was lovely. And the other thing I've made in the kitchen recently is I don't know I don't know if mom did this for you but when I moved out of the house mom gave me the better homes and garden cookbook. Oh I remember that cookbook yeah I think it's well worn (laughs) it's a three ring binder (laughs) of a cookbook and I have I'm very big into cooking I I love cooking I love I I love uh, relaxing in the kitchen and I do lots of recipes that I do research I I love the new york times recipes but there's been a growing trend in the past 15 20 years toward more and more esoteric cooking at home Mm -hmm. like cooking Mm -hmm. has kind of taken off as a relaxation thing you get things like you know services like blue apron and stuff like that where they're like we'll send you the things to your home and you can cook these things. The Better Homes and Garden Cookbook is clearly a product of 1950s mentality. You know, you are a housewife. You are cooking. It's very basic. It's very straightforward. It's very Americana. But I'm finding that if I look through it, I can find some skeletons that are nice and easy to jump off of and expand in my own ways and create a little bit of that esoteric quality to it. But the very basic straightforward cooking of this cookbook is, is in some cases actually pretty nice. And one of the sections that does that really well is the bread section. I found a recipe for a beer and cheese bread in there that I was like, this actually sounds really good and very, very easy. And it's a bread in the vein of banana bread. It doesn't have yeast. It is you're mixing all these other things, including baking powder and baking soda to get your rise but it also uses 12 ounces of beer and i had a bottle of beer that about a month and a half ago we bought this six pack of beer and every time we tried one we didn't feel right afterward and we figured the beer might have been skunked so we had one bottle left and i thought you know if anything is going to save this one bottle of beer it is going to be cooking it at high temperatures in an oven so Right, right i used that beer in this bread with cheese and it's the beer and the cheese are the only things that are unusual other than that it looked very much like a banana bread recipe and the results are literally like the night that I made it we had dinner and I think I ate uh, half half loaf um <laughs> and then slept like a baby <laughs> <laughs> slept like a fat baby uh <laughs> Not to necessarily recommend either of those recipes in particular, but to recommend how to stay sane. Why not try spending some time in the kitchen? It's it's a nice goal oriented. You end up with a result. Yes. And it's nice to spend some time and to have something you can share and something you can enjoy. And I find that for me in these times, that's a very productive way to use my time. So I, I got one to add to that.
1: I've, you know this, Sean, but I am an absolute Walt Disney World fanatic, and I was set to go there this past uh, April, uh, but obviously that didn't happen. So Why? Canceled, had to cancel that trip, uh, which of course made me incredibly sad. One of the, my favorite things there is going to Epcot and getting a Dole Whip. And I don't know if you've ever had Dole Whip. It's dairy-free, gluten-free. Uh, It's kind of a soft serve, delicious pineapple, one of the most refreshing desserts, no fat, just like, it's incredible. Love that thing. Is it Dole as in Dole fruit? Company. Dole company. Yeah. The Dole company makes it. And they make different flavors. They also have one that's lemon and stuff like that. But the pineapple one is the classic Dole Whip at Disney World. And I found recently you can buy the actual Dole Whip mix that they use at the parks hmm. on amazon <laughs> so i bought a bag and it's a 4.4 pound bag <laughs> and the bags are designed it makes for using,
0: 380 pounds of dole whip
1: yeah these these bags are designed for use in soft serve machines at the parks <laughs> and the, instru- the instructions on it are hysterical it's like get out the official dole whip bucket fill it with, fill it up to the first line, which is one gallon of water, put the mix in, stir it up, then add another gallon of water and then pour it into the machine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so it's like, how, how do I portion this? So did for, you buy like, a Dole
0: whip machine is my question. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I, you can use an ice cream machine. So if you have any kind of like ice cream maker okay, or, you know, you can get those like little ones where you put them in the freezer, you take it out, it just slowly turns. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is. As long as you have something that can make ice cream. You can do this and i found a video online that described the proportions it's basically just you take one cup of the mix and mix it with three cups of water and you can even substitute milk where you could do you know a cup and a half of water a cup and a half of milk and i've already done two different batches one with milk one without and it one it's just it's not it's like close. being at the parks yeah. know it tastes it tastes identical but it's like yeah. it's not as good there's something different about eating a dole whip in the park versus sure. Eating a Dole Whip. Because you get to see Mickey Mouse at the same time. <laughs> like a sad panda sitting on my couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a difference in. Um, you ever
0: made your wife dress up as as Mickey Mouse and walk in and dance for you while you eat it? To...
1: No, that just gave me a big idea. Okay. <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> my, my takeaway was it is so light and refreshing and it's delicious. And we had a little bit of a cookout yesterday. And for dessert, I had some fresh Dole Whip for dessert and it was fabulous and it's mm. like it was just like a little ray of sunshine it's really good it's and it seems expensive to buy the bags on amazon they're like 20 bucks or something like that but, but it's four, you're pounds. Gonna get, it's 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 four pounds you're gonna get lots of servings out of this so it's it's the price works out not to being too bad but it's if you if you if you're a disney fan you like dole whip give it a shot
0: yeah i think that what we've both inadvertently described is there are things that you do all the time for enjoyment. Yeah. Yes. Take a look at those things and figure out if there's a way you can tweak them into something unusual that you don't normally do but that's very similar to what you do do. Because right now we're being smothered by the mundane. Mm -hmm. And that's for me that triggers anxiety. And so it's things like oh I've made ginger beer before but I haven't made it in a long time and i want to make it for a very specific reason i want to mix it with seltzer i want to be able to create a refreshing drink for myself because i can't even begin to tell you i'm doing my own co2 scrub because i drink so much seltzer so i'm looking at this as like it's normal but it's not it's Mm -hmm. i know it's pleasurable but it's a pleasurable in a different slightly different way and the same thing with the the beer and cheese bread it was a of course i've done lots of baking before this is not abnormal for me but here's oh look at this thing i haven't done this before right so it's and you with the the whip it's like sure you can get to eat ice cream or you can yeah. make ice cream but you haven't made this and it reminds
1: me of being at disney world which yeah. i'm unable to do right now which is it's kind of a nice little ah oh,
0: happier yeah. times yeah <laughs> so good luck to everybody in finding their happier times in whatever way that needs to be found we hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, and as things nationally and internationally, but mainly nationally, seem to be burning in bad ways. Uh, staying safe, staying sane, and working toward the common good is more important than ever. So, let us know what you think. You can reach out to us through Twitter at Still TBD FM. You can reach out to me directly at by Sean Farrell or to Matt at Matt Farrell or un- at undecided MF. You can watch the latest videos from undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube and you can find the podcast at stilltbd.fm. It's also available and can be subscribed to through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, any place where podcasts are available. Please be sure to give us a rating, review and share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel, the channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew helps me. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.